Biden at the UN selling the Ukraine war, part two, with VT's Dan Yassin, right here, right now, on VT Radio. Let's go. With host Johnny Punish. Okay, and we're back on VT Radio with the fantastic Dan Yassin, all the way from, I believe it's Fresno, California. Is that right, Dan? Yes. Foggy Fresno. Fresno is doing okay. Uh, good weather, good fall weather. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Last time I was there, I was playing ice hockey in Fresno, and it was foggy. So I remember the fog coming in. Yeah, it, uh, another couple of months. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> May, uh, May, uh, I mean, November or so, it'll be foggy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Dan, now, of course, you are the host of a long time running radio show in your area uh, that is basically an anti-war. Tell, tell our readers and listeners about your show first before we get started talking about Ukraine and the UN. Go ahead. Uh, my show is uh, called uh, Speaking Truth to Empire. It's on a local radio station, KFCF 88.1 FM, and it is uh, a broadcast uh, Central California. Um, and the uh, uh, KFCF is uh, affiliated with Pacifica, uh, so we get a lot of programming from KPFA in Berkeley, but there is uh, 25% or so local programming. Uh, so my show is local, but uh, I have a SoundCloud account, so I upload the show on SoundCloud and put it on some website, and the most important one is the VT Foreign Policy website, because you have such a reach worldwide. So I, uh, my show that uh, after it's recorded on SoundCloud, it is heard uh, many parts of the world. Of course. Now, how long have you been running this show? Because you're an anti-war activist, right, uh, Dan? Is I'm that right? an anti-war activist, anti-war, anti-empire activist since uh, after 9-11 when we started my group, Peace Fresno. I'm one of the co-founders. And... Uh, uh, so I got more and more involved. Before that, I've not, never done any kind of activism. I've uh, been in U.S. since 1974 and just uh, trying to make a living part of Red Race. But uh, after 9-11, my world changed in that sense also. I became active in local peace community and uh, got on some other boards and for nonviolence and then a Community Alliance newspaper. And the KFCF radio station asked me to start hosting shows uh, for them. And then I had an opportunity to get a slot, a once a month slot, 30 minutes, third Wednesday. So they gave it to me and I came up with the idea of naming it Speaking Truth to Empire because it is an anti-war and anti American imperialism show. So it's been on since about 2010. Wow. So it's been at least 13, 14 years now. Is that, was that right? Yeah, it's uh, getting that close. And about 2015, I was able to get uh, connected with uh, VT by our mutual friend, Andre Wolchak, who came here to Fresno. I had interviewed him uh, while he was in India and uh, he was coming to California and he contacted me and we were able to get him here. And uh, 
had an event with him and uh, he connected me to that so unfortunately he's no longer with us right but, of uh, course yeah of course now now dan you've interviewed everybody in the world that's uh, part of the anti-war community from cindy sheehan and on tell us about your your guests that you that go on, on your show well, I have interviewed, yes, uh, for the over since the start of this uh, special military operation. Even before that, few months before that, I started interviewing people about uh, the Ukraine situation. And I've interviewed people like uh, uh, Ray McGovern, Scott Ritter, and uh, uh, let's see, uh, many other people, Cindy Sheehan, Maria Benjamin, and uh, last month, I interviewed uh, uh, Oliver Boyd Barrett, who does a wonderful blog on what's going on in Ukraine on a daily basis. And yesterday was Third Wednesday. I interviewed uh, Alice Slater, uh, an activist and uh, uh, very, very active for over 50 years in the anti-war, anti-nuke movement. So I interviewed her yesterday. Yeah. Now, now t- let's get let's talk about the Ukraine because first let's let's get the update. What's happening currently in Ukraine as as you know it to be right happening right now? Okay, uh, right now we know what's going on. Uh, but before I get uh, to what's going on, I want to give you my perspective of how I feel what this war has uh, bringing us. I think uh, what's going on geopolitically speaking, uh, we are living. Right, uh, I mean, at a time where our world is changing very fast. Uh, I started thinking several months ago that uh, it is uh, the Ukraine war is speeding up uh, what I call the end of American hegemony and end of unipolar world. Uh, But uh, my thinking is that uh, uh, it's uh, really the end, beginning of the end of 500 plus years of Western imperialism. And uh, the reason I say that, because recently, or actually in the last couple of years, the coups in West African nation, one after the other, uh, has uh, brought uh, uh, the world's attention to the uh, odious French neocolonialism that has been going on in uh, West Africa. So we see that also tie in together. So that's how I feel because uh, Western imperialism, of course, is around for over 500 years. But the it, uh, U.S. took reins of the Western imperialism uh, starting in my uh, estimate, starting in with the Spanish-American War of 1898. And it was finally consolidated after World War Two, so we have had American imperialism since that time, and uh, after World War Two, of course, we had the Soviet Union, which stood as a rival to uh, American uh, American militarism, and uh, so we had a bipolar world until the collapse of Soviet Union in 1991, and since that time, we had a unipolar world and now I think that is changing and of course that started with the uh, formation of BRICS in 2009 and uh, we can get into the recent BRICS 11 plus conference 
and a lackluster G20 conference in India. So when we start talking about where Ukraine is today, what has happened in Ukraine, uh, I mean, without any stretch of imagination, we can probably call this Ukraine war as the most propagandized war in history because we have been lied from day one. The first lie was that war started with the um, Russian military operation in February of 2022, which was, of course, over and over and over again, we were told it was unprovoked. And now we know it was not unprovoked, it was provoked. And war actually started in February of 2014 when the CIA, State Department, they uh, managed the coup d'etat in uh, uh, Maidan uh, coup that uh, replaced the democratically elected government in Ukraine and replaced it with a pro-US. So that started the war and they have been attacking the Russian-speaking region in the west uh, and east uh, Ukraine. And it's been going on and over 14,000 people have been killed. And all of that with the help of uh, U.S. and NATO. And uh, as we know, the Minsk agreement that was signed in 2015 between Russia, Ukraine, France, and Germany, that we know that uh, Angela Merkel and uh, Hollande has uh, said that openly that they were not serious about it. They just wanted time to... Uh, arm Ukraine to go after Russia and that's what they have been doing. So like I said, the war started then, arming of Ukraine and training of Ukrainian soldiers started then. So the wars uh, and the Russian operation started and uh, the result has been, uh, let's see, we are in the 18th month of the uh, operation and the result has been very clear that Ukraine cannot win. Although we were told over and over again that Ukraine is winning. Now we know it's not winning. The Even the overly hyped counteroffensive is spring counteroffensive that did not start until June 4th. It's uh, now turned out that it has also failed. So all of that has happened All in spite of all the lies. Now uh, some military pundits and some think tanks people are coming out and openly saying that Ukraine cannot win. So the lies of Biden administration continued and that's what he did in uh, his UN speech. The main theme to me was about that uh, Russia is responsible for everything and they are the one that should stop the war. But uh, of course he will not tell you that they are the one that has stopped Ukraine from negotiating with Russia from day one. Right in the beginning in March, uh, Israel and Turkey, they had uh, um, negotiated a peace deal and Zelensky has agreed to sign it. But what does Biden administration do? They send Boris Johnson, the 
UK Prime Minister at that time to tell Ukraine, nope, don't sign any deal. So at every step, we have been stopping negotiation. So we are in a situation that, uh, uh, what is it, over 200 billion plus of US and NATO aid has not been able to help Ukraine in any way. It's turning out, and many people, uh, Scott Ritter, Doug McGregor, uh, Ray McGovern, all of these people are very clear that uh, uh, they have had almost like 500,000 Ukrainians have been killed. And most of the aid or all of the aid that U.S. and NATO has provided us just completely disappeared. The equipment that was delivered to Ukraine has been destroyed by Russia. Some of them, of course, were sold in the black market or quite a bit of the money has been used to buy uh, villas in uh, Mediterranean and Tel Aviv for Zelensky and his minion. So it doesn't look good. So things are not changing. So as I said, it brings us to what's going on and uh, went on in UN, United Nations. And uh, then yesterday we had uh, Zelensky go to Washington, D.C. And as opposed to over uh, propagandized appearance of Zelensky last year, this year, he was even denied the request to address the joint session of Congress. He was not able to do that. And he goes and uh, talks to uh, Pentagon, where he even does not get that uh, celebratory reception with band and everything. None of that. So it is low key. So I'm not sure where we are headed at this point. Because I think, uh, and Russia has been patient. They have hold, held on to their ability that they have the ability that they can uh, move and do that because they do not want to completely destroy Ukraine. They want a reduced size. They already control, I think, about 25% of Ukraine. And uh, they are if they would have agreed for the negotiation in March of 2022, at least the Donbass and East Ukraine would still have been part of Ukraine. But since they do not do that, not that possibility does not exist because she is not going to let that go. Now, now, Dan, let me ask you a question. What's really going on with the Democrats in the United States, the Biden administration, ergo, the, the think tanks that run that show, what is their global plan for this? Because obviously in the United States, there's a definite separation between what the GOP thinks about this war and what they want for foreign policy and what the Democrats want for foreign policy. So there's two different think tanks that are seeing the vision of the world in two different ways. And, and, and I'm afraid that uh, I, I'm not even sure which way we're going and which way it's going to end up. So Tell me again, from the democratic standpoint, what what is the think tanks and what do what do they want for this world? Do they just want to go into Russia and beat them up and, and and make them subservient? What's going on? You tell me. Well, that's what they want because that's what we were told again and again, and uh, some of them openly admitted. Uh, Lindsey Graham of the world, of course, he's Republican, but uh, 
Biden administration, Lloyd Austin, that uh, their whole purpose was to weaken Russia, to replace, do a regime change in Russia, replace Putin with someone else, uh, kind of like Yeltsin, that will let them loot Russia like they did in the 90s. But uh, Putin has turned out to be a, a much tougher nut to crack. I don't think it's going to be that easy. Uh, they just uh, have no idea of uh, how popular Putin is in Russia. I mean, he's in like 80% popularity rate in spite of the war. And Russians have losses, but the losses I see uh, in terms of uh, personality and uh, personnel and uh, and uh, equipment, I think there is almost one to eight to ten uh, ratio between Ukraine and Russia. So their goal of uh, regime change and destroying Russia uh, it doesn't seem to be materializing. So right now, if I look at the U.S. political scene, I think Biden. I don't even know if he's going to survive until November 2024 when the election is. But Deep State seems to be hell-bent on making, uh, electing Biden. So we're not just talking about the Democrats. We're talking about the Democrats plus the old conservative Republicans. Not the Trump Republicans, obviously, but it seems like the old Republicans are also part of this think tank. Of, 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 yeah. So, but the Trump party uh, group, uh, Trump himself, is seems to be more aligned with Russia than with Ukraine. Is that correct? That is correct because he has openly spoken against the war, and uh, uh, and he does have a good support in the grassroots Republican Party. So, at this point, if the elections are uh, primary are held, he will win it easily. But things can change. Uh, with so many cases that he's facing. So we don't know uh, what will happen. But uh, at this point, it seems like they are both the establishment Republicans and the Democratic Party. Uh, they seem to want to continue. And I think Ray McGovern, just uh, I learned a couple of days ago, they said that it's very likely that you might, U.S. might even give uh, many nukes to Ukraine, and which is... Uh, uh, that was the main demand uh, that uh, Zelensky talked at the UN, asking to continue the war, more aid. That is what he's asking at the Congress yesterday and the Pentagon that he went there, met few people, that he wants more aid, more, and his long-range missile so they can strike inside. And again, U.S. would like to, us to believe that they are not directly involved, but this war is between U.S. and Russia because the full intelligence support and, of course, material support is provided to Ukraine. So where we are headed, uh, politically speaking, um, it's just uh, going to be very, very uh, interesting to see if Biden survives uh, until then because now Republicans are talking about impeaching him also. So the investigation, Biden, uh, Hunter Biden, and Biden has started also. 
Yeah, my issue with that is that Trump is the wrong candidate for the Republican Party. I know a lot of people listening to this like Trump, and I get that, I understand, but he's not Mahatma Gandhi. He's not the father of the country. He's not the savior of the world. This guy comes with baggage left and right, uh, and they're going to hammer him all day long because of it. So he cannot save the country because he's, he's not the right character anyway. He's got the wrong character. He doesn't have the right temperament for being a savior. Um, he just He's a narrow-minded person that focuses on a narrow par- portion of the electorate and ignores everybody else and calls everybody else names and insults people. So he's just the wrong guy. And I can't figure out why America can't, out of 330 million people, the GOP can't find an intelligent person of character uh, who can who can articulate a vision of the world intelligently to their populace? Instead, he talks like a little five year old to five year olds. You know, he's talking nonsense and using insults left and right and calling people names. It's silly. It's it's embarrassing and silly. I mean, he's not getting my vote. I don't care. You know, it's just I can't vote for a guy like that. That's all to it. But um, I, I see. Vote. Yeah, I don't vote for Democrat or Republican either. So, but I think you described it very well, and I agree. But the same situation. It's a bipartisan. I am surprised that Democrats cannot come up with any candidate better than Biden. So it goes, I mean, it's a different issue with Biden, different issue with Trump. But you're right that uh, it is just so surprising. That just tells us a lot about our broken bipartisan political system. We do not have a system that uh, brings in um, trains and young people and stuff like that to bring to power. I mean, it's just so amazing that the whole Democratic Party and Republican Party, like you said, Republicans have uh, at least many, many people that are running, but I don't think I, I mean, I, I don't support, like I said, any party, so, or Democrat or Republican. So I don't see anybody in the Republican Party. They have a bigger list. But on the Democratic side, the one that is getting a lot of uh, uh, coverage is uh, RFK Jr. So I don't know where he's headed, but I don't think they will let him be the main. Well, the mainstream media is not covering him at all right now. Zero. He's getting nothing. Yes. Zero coverage. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So I agree with you on that. It's a a terrible situation. uh, And I don't know what to say about that, but... Uh, in terms of you know where the world's going, this is a battle royale for control of the world right now. You talk about the BRICS, you talk about the the NATO group. Uh, who is going to take control of the world in the next ten years? Is it going to be NATO in the West, or is it going to be the BRICS? And is the U.S. going to be left uh, as a just another country as opposed to the empire? And if so, what happens to the U.S. dollar? Does it become the reserve currency? This, is a, this is a, has a lot of consequences for this. You know what I mean? It does. I agree with that. And I personally think, I know I'm, uh, I think the American hegemony is ending and a lot of things are happening. But I think for a, it's going to take a long time and it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be sudden. It's going to be changes will be minor. Uh, the only thing, I guess, unless somebody, a uh, sane leader come uh, to rule U.S., and then uh, you have a possibility where we learn that uh, the BRICS um, uh, the stand that we need to have a multipolar world, one country ruling the whole world and telling everybody to do as I say uh, doesn't work. And we have figured that out as uh, 
US has done since uh, uh, 9-11 or even if you look at it since World War II, they have just wars after war. US is always at war and uh, we just uh, uh, can't be not at war. Uh, military industrial complex just ruled. This is what this Ukraine war is showing us also. The only people that are benefiting are the military industrial complex, which uh, controls Congress also. So that is the biggest problem we have. And uh, that's not going to change. And as far as the BRICS is concerned, as we saw, uh, what was it, 15th BRICS conference in South Africa. So they have added six, uh, they are adding six more countries. So it's becoming BRICS 11 now. And uh, it did get a lot of coverage, positive coverage in some ways, not in the mainstream media though. But uh, the strange thing is that just following that, just a few weeks ago, there was G20 conference in India. So the U.S. influence and uh, uh, NATO, EU influence reducing you can see that from the result of the G20. In that uh, joint statement that came out, they were not able to even criticize Russia. Putin and Xi were not there, so they didn't influence that. So the only thing I would conclude is that India was able to influence and uh, U.S. could not get its way to be critical of Russia uh, for the Ukraine war. So they were not able to do that. And now they are talking about, which is from the Chinese playbook, uh, they want to have an infrastructure in, uh, infrastructure to connect India with Europe. China has been doing that and they have spent trillions of dollars with their Belts and Road Initiative. So it's just uh, another example of uh, U.S. control and Biden, Biden is just proving over and over again that uh, he does not have impact. I mean, yeah, I don't like Trump. You don't like Trump. But at least when he goes to uh, other countries and stuff, he creates a <laughs> noise and stuff. He was doing it at that time when he was president. Uh, but Biden goes there and uh, he goes to uh, Vietnam and doesn't get anything done there. So uh, I, I can see that uh, U.S. role and control is reducing right before our eyes. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, making noise necessarily is not the right move. I mean, creating chaos just to, just to create chaos is not an intelligent move. It's not a chess move, right? It's just, uh, you know, it's your ego talking. So I, I'm not really a big believer in that. But I, I'm looking for more of a strategic move to see where, who, and who controls the resources and who controls the world economies. Um, and where is that power base moving towards, right? You know, it's been in the U.S. for a long time. Now it's uh, slowly becoming a multipolar world. And so that's going to change the leverage and negotiating for control of resources. Uh, obviously, you're in the United States. I'm in Mexico. So we're, we're in the North American continent. How is it going to affect everyday Americans in North America and, and South America as well. But um, if, if the U.S. goes into a multipolar world as we're, as we're moving towards, how, what's the consequence for the economy, the consequence for everyday people? 
Well, I if I have to uh, make some kind of prediction and stuff, it just uh, a standard of living will go down because the dollar. Uh, I mean, we are very far away from dollar being replaced. I, I mean, it is being reduced. Its influence has been reduced to, I think, fifteen uh, twenty years ago, ninety percent of the transaction, ninety plus percent of the transaction were in, in dollar, and now it's down to like sixty sixty five percent because many countries are doing trade uh, within their own currencies. So we are probably still several years away of replacing a replacing dollar but dollar's value is decreasing as we know the inflation in us uh, what dollar bought let's say 10 years ago it's not buying that much so uh, so it will affect the standard of living and uh, i'm not an economist but it's uh, i do listen to michael hudson's <laughs> some idea from where we are headed so and uh, richard wolf those people are, are talking about all the same things bricks and how it will affect so it will not be positive but i wish that uh, the control of the mainstream media that bothers me the most is that so many people even the progressive community they are just uh, uh, inundated and almost brainwashed with the narrative from the mainstream media. Right. It is very, very hard. You guys do a good job at Weedy because that is one of my sources. So, uh, I mean, I can't, I can't listen or I don't listen to any of the cable news or uh, I don't get my news from New York Times and Washington Post or any of the American newspaper. But mostly right. internet, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Things have changed. In fact, 50% of the televisions now are not on anymore. So 50% of the people are watching everything but television. They're looking yes. at internet or their phones or things like that. So, yeah, the, the market's changing for sure on that issue. Uh, wow. Wow. Such a, such a lot of changes in this world happening so fast, right? It's incredible. It yep. It's actually scary a little bit. It scares me a bit. I, I can tell you this. Here in Mexico – the dollar was uh, one peso for, excuse me, one dollar for 20 pesos. That was uh, a few years ago. Now it's one dollar for 16 pesos. So yes, the the dollar is less influential here. Uh, It costs more to live here if you live on dollars. So it's it's changed significantly here in Mexico. And uh, what you're saying is it's possible that's going to get even less powerful. Is that, is, that, is that what you're saying on the U.S. Yeah, dollar? that's, that, I mean, uh, multipolar world as it comes in more, I mean, uh, BRICS nations get stronger and stronger. And uh, of, of many things that uh, Ukraine war has uh, uh, told us or uh, taught us is that Russia has an industrial capacity that is outproducing U.S. and NATO at this point right now. U.S. has completely destroyed its industrial capacity. They are not able to produce uh, uh, shells and tanks and anything at the same rate that Russia is doing. And let alone China. Once you bring China and Russia in, militarily speaking, U.S. and NATO can't even face Russia, so they can face all of them. And then you had North Korea on top of that. Right now, uh, I, I have something to say about that. 
I have something to say about that, Dan. Uh, here in Mexico, we have a unique perspective because uh, most Americans don't know this. But uh, during World War II, most men went off to war. And they always say, well, Rosie the Riveter, uh, which is meaning the woman, went to work in the factories to help build the planes and, and the tanks and all this stuff. That's not entirely true. What actually did happen was the United States uh, enacted the Bracero Program. And the Bracero Program yeah. said, if you come to America and work, we'll give you a work permit and, and you can work in the factories and build the planes and all the tanks and the factories, this and that. That's what happened. That was legal immigration. Mexicans were rolling into the United States to help mm -hmm. the war effort. And without the Mexicans, the United States probably would have not won that war because it wasn't just the women. It was Mexicans in the factories as well. So uh, memo to Republicans listening to this message. I know how much you hate everybody down south. I get that. I mean, I understand your perspective. You know, you want... America to be like it used to be. I understand that. But the fact of the matter remains, if you want to increase your country's capacity, um, you're going to need to have something like an intelligent Bracero program, not, not based on racism, but based on need, right? You need people in the factories, give them work permits, make it easy. Don't make it difficult, make it easy. So that way everybody's above board, everybody sees what they're doing, everybody knows where everybody is. And I can, I can tell you for a fact, 99.9% .9 of the people coming over will not be criminals. They're just coming to work to get a higher paying job. If that's it. They're not actually coming there to steal your, steal your car. You know, uh, that's not what's happening. But so there's a lot of things going on that America needs to change its perspective on. Um, and I'm concerned for the standard of living. My, my children live in the United States. Um, you know, I'm concerned for their future standard of living, right? It could be, it could be 10 mm -hmm. years from now. I mean, the effects could be 10 years, right? I mean, 10 years from now, where's the world going to be, you know? Yeah, the effects would be gradual, slow, and things uh, take time to change. Unless something happens, uh, then things can speed up. And Ukraine war is one of those things uh, that has speeded up the change. Um, just like uh, uh, things were changing, as I said earlier, uh, the Spanish-American war started uh, making it obvious that U.S. is coming up to be a big power, but it took, I mean, there was a World War One, and then after that, it took a World War Two, and hundreds of millions of people lost that uh, sped up the U.S. control of the world. So if something like that happened, that can speed up. Otherwise, the changes are going to be slow and gradual, and people will gradually get used to it and get used to um, living with less uh, lo lower standard of living. So that's going to happen. Now, as an anti-war activist that you are, I, I assume that you would rather see this negotiated and not, you know, mm -hmm. negotiated over time and not use guns to kill people, you know, ammunition, yes. et cetera. So that's, that's your focus. That's my focus as well. Um, could, is that still on the table? Can we get through this, fast enough to start to get negotiations or are we just determined is the u.s just going to double down triple down quadruple down and not let go of this and go after the russia and it's going to end up into a world war three well i think the problem the u.s has our biden administration i don't even know how much biden is in charge i doubt he is in charge of anything right. it's that they talk 
both sides of their mouth. I mean, if you listen to Biden's speech, one of the things he was talking about that Russia is responsible for this war and Russia has to negotiate. He doesn't tell you that, that you are the one that has refused to negotiate. I mean, not just Biden, but even previous administration that have refused to negotiate with Russia for over and over again, just before the uh, military operation in February, in December of 2021, Russia sent out two proposals, one for U.S. and one for uh, EU NATO countries to negotiate security guarantees that Russia needed. That's all they want. But what we keep on doing, we keep on expanding NATO and putting nukes at the and the missiles at Russia's borders. So it will act the way Putin acted. That's a natural, just like Kennedy did in 1962 when Khrushchev put um, Russian missiles in Cuba. So that's that's how things are. But uh, we are not told that. So, but then at the same time, there is a talk giving more long range. What is it? At at attack him. Um, long-range missiles, ATACM missiles, which are, I guess, uh, go much farther than missiles that we have already given them, talking about giving them uh, new c- capable F-16. And then, as uh, I think I heard McGovern opine the other day, that there may even be a talk of giving many nukes to things. So they're talking about the same thing. But at the same time, they talk about telling that Russia has to accept the negotiation. Russia was doing it beginning of uh, in March and all of that. But you have Russia has been pushed over and over again. So a starting point for Russia now is that they are not leaving the area that they control. So that's the starting point. And if uh, Ukraine agree with. Well, and and the other point for Russia is important that uh, Ukraine cannot be a member of NATO. So those are the two points for Russia. And if U.S. and the leadership in U.S. agree with that, and Zelensky will not have a choice. Zelensky will have to listen to what U.S. wants. An incredible clash coming. Incredible. It could be. It is possible they might go that route because. Uh, that way Biden can claim success that increases his chances of uh, winning the election if they may if they may close it because continuing in this way increases chances of Trump winning my my uh, ob- my feeling is that yeah right okay let me ask you one more question before I let you go Um we are facing a global world that's changing uh, rapidly. Uh, China, we can call it a one-party autocracy. Is that fair to call China that? Is that is that something I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm well, uh, it is, but I mean, I have spent a lot of time. I've done some show uh, on China also, and I'm thinking about doing another one with Jeff Brown uh, on China and how the Chinese system works. Uh, uh, what, what is the saying? I'm just trying to remember. Like in China, they say uh, they have one party system, but uh, they change their policies to help the people of China. But here it seems like we have uh, two parties, but then 
our system doesn't change the control of military industrial complex and corporate oligarchs in U.S. does not change. So right. our policies change less than the Chinese policy. Same thing you can say even with Russia. They uh, have had one person since, what is it, 1999 when uh, Putin came into power and he has changed Russia, which was at the brink of collapse. And he had turned Russia around. That's why he's so popular in Russia. And, and that's coming to my point here. Uh, you come from, uh, is it East Asia? What part of Asia you Pakistan. come from? Pakistan. Pakistan. Uh, Pakistan is also uh, ruled by, is it a military government? Is that what that is now? Well, it is. They had, uh, regime again, U.S. regime change operation in Pakistan in April of 2022, where they replaced a very popular uh, government of Imran Khan, and who is in prison now. So they have a civilian government appointed by the military, and uh, right now they are getting ready for election. Whether it will be fair and free, we don't know that yet. But anyway, Pakistan is a good example of uh, how U.S. has controlled uh, the world. I mean, Pakistan has been uh, support, had uh, three, four military dictators, all supported by the U.S. Going back into the late 50s, the first uh, General Ayub Khan, and then we had uh, General Ziaul Haq all through the 80s. And then we had uh, Musharraf, uh, 9-11, and later on. And uh, then after that, this uh, April 2022, uh, General Bajwa, who did not declare martial law, he didn't come uh, into power, but he appointed the old uh, Pakistani oligarch, I would call them the uh, parties that have been looting Pakistan for uh, 30 plus years so they were in power and now there is an interim government which is which comes into play when the elections have to be held yeah so here's my last question for you when i bring up the subject of the governments in china pakistan united states what kind of style they are 50 years from now let's say we both come back here what kind of world would you like to see and what kind of world do you think will be will we have a one world government is that what you would like to live in? Or would you like to live in a fully democratic world? Uh, explain to me the world you want to live in in 50 years from now and what you really think is going to happen. Uh, the world, I, I think I'm uh, somewhat a uh, uh, believer in the uh, UN Charter where they guaranteed all governments, I mean, equal right. They should be treated equal regardless of whether they are a democracy, autocracy, monarchy, whatever it is, they all have the same right to exist and uh, sovereignty. But uh, what U.S. has done for the last 40, 30, 40 years in the name of uh, um, what is it called, R2P, responsibility to protect and promote uh, democracies, we have just invaded one country after the other and uh, we can see the result of uh, the democracies that we uh, wanted to bring to Vietnam, Iraq, Syria, Libya, um, Afghanistan. 
what we have accomplished is nothing. We have destroyed those countries and killed millions and millions of people, but we do not have democracy. So I do not like that kind of world. So I would like to have a multipolar world where there are three or four countries that are strong enough that they become, uh, keep each and everybody in like what we used to call it, MAD or uh, Mutual Assured Destruction or uh, Dayton. So every world stays in peace that way. And uh, each country has an equal equal uh, right for sovereignty. That's the kind of world I would like. But it just, uh, you, uh, military power rivalry. So I'm not sure we will get there even 50 years from now. But I feel that we are moving in that direction at this point. Mm -hmm. And uh, what will happen? But then again, I observe closely what goes on every year at Davos also. So the Great Reset and all of that, I know we don't have time to talk about that. But they would like to have a one world government to control the whole world. That's correct. But I don't know where we will be 50 years from now. Right. On that note, um, I'm going to let you go. I want you to tell our readers and listeners around the world, again, how they can find your work and what you're working on in the future and what's happening with you in the next couple of coming weeks. Well, I am, like I said earlier, in, uh, in, uh, going to do an uh, interview with Jeff J. Brown, who has a big background. He has lived in China for many, many years so and written many books about it. So I'm going to talk about BRICS. And, uh, and how the world is changing and bringing in, of course, Russia, Ukraine, and all of that. And uh, I'm going to probably continue, like I said, my favorite people that I interview on a regular basis or at least once every few months, six months, a uh, year, uh, probably get Scott Ritter back and uh, Ray McGovern back. Um, and let's see, Cindy Sheehan, Maria Benjamin, so we'll continue to talk to them. And, uh, and I like uh, Christian Sorensen, who is very good at military industrial complex. I interviewed him a few years ago, a few months ago. I will interview uh, uh, Oliver Boyd Barrett that I interviewed last month and a few months again. So my topic is still going to be on um Again, anti-war, anti-imperialism, and uh, uh, multipolar world. So, that's so people to listen, to listen to you, they can find you on vtforeignpolicy.com, of course. Yes. And they can also find you on SoundCloud as well. Put right? my name in there, Dan Yassin, or put Speaking Truth to Empire on Search Engine, and they'll be able to get all of those shows. Or they Perfect. can go to soundcloud.com slash Speaking Truth to Empire, and they'll see all my shows there as well. Perfect. Okay, I also want to say to our listeners and readers around the world, uh, don't forget to get your new VT cup. Uh, of course, on the backside, it has VT radio. You see it right there? It's pretty cool. And uh, you can drink your favorite hot coffee in the morning like I do when I do my show. And uh, uh, if you do support what we're talking about here, please reach out to us. It's very, very important uh, because we don't get a lot of advertising dollars at all. Uh, so we are at buymeacoffee.com. You can see it on, the, on our site all over the place. Please become a member for $8 a month, 
and, and, and support us because we don't get the big money of mainstream media. This is not Fox News. This is not MSNBC. We're not part of the corporate media. We're part of nothing. I'm doing this out of the backyard, and we got to pay Riverside.fm right here. That's what we're on right now using for podcasting. I got to pay Buzzsprout. We got to pay these servers at Hostinger. You know, we got to do a lot of things. So please support VT with a one time donation. Buy this, uh, become a member. Anything you do to help us, please do that. Very important. On that note, Dan, I want to say super thank you for being on VT Radio. Your insights, because you're such a great interviewer and you do stand up for the anti war. You stand up for people, my friend. And that that is worth respecting all the way all over the world so i want to say thank you dan thank you johnny thank you if you enjoyed this presentation hit the like button now also share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode vt approves this message